0: Aren't you glad that when you said yes to Jesus Christ, He took away the spirit of fear, amen? We're so thankful, so thankful for what the Lord is doing, and I'm so glad that He's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I can remember the day when I was running from the Lord, and I had a reason to fear, but since I've said yes to Jesus Christ, all fear is gone, all condemnation is gone, and now I can walk in perfect peace, amen? Amen. Again, we want to thank you for being with us today and joining in with live. And I just want to extend my gratitude to the praise and worship team that stands behind me. Uh, I could not do this by myself. And uh, Stacy and I are so honored that when the phone call went out this week to individuals and asked would they come down here, they, they jumped right on board and they said, absolutely. And uh, we are just so thankful that they're here. And not only these that are up on this platform, our praise and worship team, but also we have those that are running the live stream and running uh, the lyrics and running the uh, media, and the sound, so that you could join in with us in spirit. Amen. And so, again, I just want to extend my gratitude unto them. So, if you happen not to see me looking directly at you in the camera, understand that I'm not ignoring you. I've got these individuals that are sitting here in the uh, sanctuary, so I may look off to them. But nevertheless, you're here. You're here with us in spirit. Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Joel. The book of Joel, chapter 2. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> All week long, I uh, struggled with what to preach. My heart was heavy, and I went back and forth within a couple of different messages and actually uh, prepared a couple of different messages. But then last night and early this morning, the Lord just uh, finalized the word that he would have me to deliver because he knows who's watching and he knows who needs what when they need it. Amen. And so we are just so thankful again for what the Lord is doing. So if you're there at the book of Joel chapter two, say amen. amen. They signaled amen here in the sanctuary. So I trust and believe that you're there. So we'll start with verse one and we'll read down to verse 14. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and gloomness, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. A great people and a strong, there have not been ever the light, neither shall be any more after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Yes, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains shall they leap, like the noise of a flame of fire that devoureth in the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face the people shall be much pained, all faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men, they shall climb the wall like men of war, and they shall march every one on his ways, and they shall not break their reins. Neither shall one thrust another, they shall walk every one in the path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city, they shall run upon the wall, they shall climb upon the houses, they shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For he is strong that he executed his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? And I want you to pay attention to the next three verses from where we will be taking our text from. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God this passage of scripture that we read is speaking of future millennial and the kingdom age that would come. The battle of Armageddon that would take place. And here, there make no mistake about it, that through the prophet Joel, God was speaking through him and to the children of Israel. Now understand, he was speaking to the church. And if you read these first 11 verses, one can read it and sense the terror that will be upon the people of that day. Because who, what could, how, could you, how could it be, you know, to, to, to sit here and to see all of this that is going on? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be here when that takes place, amen? But he's speaking here in verse 12, 13, and 14, and gives the remedy to them as to what they are to do in that day and time. But I want to make it known to you today that it is just apropos now as it is for them, uh, what it shall be. The church now is being called to therefore now rend our hearts. To turn back to Him. Because if it's anything that I've seen with everything that is going on now, and even before all of these events that have transpired, is that again, it seems to be what the Lord has impressed upon my heart, that the church is not ready. And the Lord is allowing certain events and certain things to take place to grab our attention because He wants our heart. He wants our hearts just as he wanted the hearts of the children of Israel. He wants the hearts of you and I today. So I want to preach for a few moments on the subject. Rend your heart. Rend your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today again in the mighty and the strong name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the spirit of the Lord that we feel in this house. And Lord, we trust. Lord, and we believe that your presence is right there with those that are watching and viewing in online with us. Lord, even now as they are live or maybe those that will watch in the future. Lord, we believe that the anointing, Lord, doesn't leave, but it will stay. And Lord, we thank you for the praise and worship that went forth, Lord, in in preparing our hearts Lord, to receive your word. And God, I pray that right now, Lord, that you would anoint me to deliver your word. Lord, the word that you have laid heavily upon my heart this week, Lord. God, you've called me, Lord, to now speak it forth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would recall everything that you placed in my heart. Lord, that only your words would be spoken through my mouth, God. Lord, that nothing, Lord, of my opinions and my own thoughts would come forth, but, Lord, only your word. And, God, with it, God, let it be saturated in the anointing of the Holy Spirit because, God, we depend upon it. Lord, we depend upon you for your help, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we believe and trust that as this word goes forth, that, Lord, it's going to fall on good ground and that, Lord, it's going to bring forth much fruit. God, I pray anoint those that are listening, God. Lord, help them to receive your word today and we will forever give you praise for it all. In Jesus' name and everyone said amen Amen. and amen. The book of Joel is one of the minor prophets that God used to call the nation back to God. But make no mistake about it, the message that God would deliver through this prophet in just three chapters of this book that bears his name is powerful. And he gives to us great and exceeding promises but are conditional to the response of what he had to say. So here there's three chapters there that that Joel would deliver this word that the Lord had laid upon his heart. So it was short and sweet. But let me tell you, God don't have to go through a whole big old sermon like we do. He can speak more in a few words and it'd be more powerful than what we could deliver in a lifetime. And so God has something to say. God has something to say to the church at this time. God's got something to say to the church right now. And so he needed an individual to be able to speak forth his words. And we see in this book, God's a fair God. Amen? He's holy. He's righteous. And He has promised us exceeding great promises. He's promised us that He will do these things. But we've got to be obedient unto Him. Because if we don't, of course, there will be consequences to pay. There's still consequences to all of our actions. Amen? So the Bible says in this very first verse of the book uh, that the word of the Lord came to Joel. So with him, we don't see a backstory of his life or anything else. We don't see of who he was, where he come from, or anything else. Right off the bat, the Bible opens up here in the book of Joel, and it says that the word of the Lord came forth. So again, it says that he used Joel, and Joel will hear it. Now I find it interesting here that Joel here heard from the Lord, and in this. Wonderful that we skim over this verse and we think there's no meaning to it. But let me tell you, it packs a powerful punch even in today's time. Because has there ever been a time before that we need to make sure that we're hearing from the Lord? It's right now. We need to hear from the Lord right now. I read an article the other day uh, about how motivational preaching, how it's effective to the people and the congregation. And, and, and let me tell you that motivational preaching is not what we need today. In fact, it's not preaching if it's motivational. That's what I call motivational speaking. I've been to seminars before, the job that I had been with for 20 years, and I would go to these things as they were a requirement, and they would always pay this gentleman or this lady a big buku of money to come in and to motivate the people to continue on in the business. And let me tell you, I don't need motivation when I come to the house of God. What I need is preaching, amen? What you and I need is the preaching of God's Word. So God's not called me to be a motivational speaker. He's not calling you, child of God, to be a motivational speaker. Well, you say, well, I've not been called to stand behind a pulpit. Well, we say it all the time. If you're saved, you're a preacher of righteousness. It is your privilege Hear me, the word privilege and duty to preach and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are people that you will come in contact with that those that stand behind a pulpit will never come in contact with. And God desires to use you. God desires to speak through you so that you can deliver the good news. Because there are people that that, that are needing to hear what you possess. The good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So again, uh, if we're in a church, and there's far too many churches that are like that. That's got just motivational speaking that's going on. And I will just go ahead and say it, that if the Spirit of the Lord is not moving in the house of God where you're at, then you need to find another church. Because it is only the Holy Spirit that, that, that comes in and that changes hearts and that changes lives. And he moves uh, upon the preaching of God's word. And unfortunately today there are many churches and it's sad to say and a lot of people would gasp at what I said. But just because it carries a steeple on top of the building does not mean that they are preaching the word of Almighty God. We are to try the spirits, the Bible says. So whatever you hear coming out of my mouth, I encourage you to do it. Whatever you hear out of my mouth or anybody else's, you should be making sure that it lines up with the Word of God. The Bible says try the spirits. So make sure, we implore you to make sure. And if what is being preached and what is being talked to you is not lining up with the Word of God, then you need to get out. Because what's happening is, is you're allowing poison to come in. The Bible still says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Amen? One article said, how should a pastor decide on what to preach? And the answers were staggering. I mean, it's amazing to see how these people will run to this and determine what should they preach. They'll go to sermon.com and see what's popular what's been popular throughout the country throughout their state or or they'll say that you should take a poll and see what the people want to hear or you should talk about the major talking points that's going on today no if you want to know how to decide on what to preach it says that we need to seek the face of almighty god hear me seek the face of almighty god you preacher You need to seek the face of God. I didn't come in here to take a poll. I didn't call these people that are here with me today or those of you that are watching online and ask you what is it that you want me to preach. No, I got on on my knees and I put my face down in the carpet and I began to seek the Lord and say, God, i got to have a message. I need to hear from you. I need a word from you to be able to deliver to the people because that's what we need to get back to. Seeking the face of God. Words like victory has been substituted in our churches with counseling. Words such as deliverance are not heard of anymore, but now we speak from behind the pulpit therapy. We don't hear about overcoming power, but yet we hear about rehabilitation. We don't hear about salvation or the born-again experience, but we hear about self-esteem and treatment. It boggles my mind how that I have been around people that are self-professed Christians, and I ask them, when did you get born again? And they look at me with a puzzled look. That signals to me that there's a problem. Because if you're in a church, and you don't hear the word salvation, and we don't hear the word, Born again, then there's a problem. The preaching of the gospel is not taking forth. I don't need to be rehabilitated. I need to be born again. You need to be born again. I don't have a self-esteem issue. What I need is for victory to come. I need deliverance. And it's all found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Man cannot help you. Your help is coming from above. And it's done through the power of the third member of the triune. And it's the Holy Spirit. He is the one, the agent of transformation that you and I need in our lives. So true prophets and preachers, true ones, Will preach repentance and will preach righteousness. True preachers and true prophets will always preach repentance and will always preach righteousness. The ones that are not preaching that are deemed as what the Bible says false prophets. Because false prophets will tell you you could do any and everything that you want. They will tell you everything else to do except repent. You and I have been called to repent. And it's not only at the salvation experience, but as us, as children of the Most High God, we are to be, as I say, professional repenters. I and you, if we're saved, are to go before the Lord. We are to repent. We should lament over our sin. We are still to go before him and ask him to continuously forgive us. So it's no wonder we see the nation in the condition that we see it in. Because the nation, every nation, not only here in America, but every nation that is upon this world will always follow the path that the church is on. So as the, so goes the church, so goes the nation. So, we are here in the United States of America, and in our belief and our opinion, the greatest country upon the face of the world. And the reason the condition of the nation is, as what it's in today, has to be lied, as I said last week, at the doorstep of the church. Because we, the church, have failed to be who God has called us to be. We have strayed from everything else to what we should be doing. We're no longer preaching out of the Word of God, but we've got some that I am ashamed to say that are preaching from books that other man has written you need to get out of what man has written and get in what he has to say because only the word of almighty God is what's going to change lives so Joel heard from the Lord and began to deliver into the people what God had told him to say so he says in verse 2 hear this, listen up grabbing the attention of the church because I've got something to say the Lord had impressed upon his heart of what to say. And he says, wake up, open up your ears, unclog your ears, and hear what the Lord has got to say. You see, God had a message to deliver through the prophet to the nation of Israel. And he wants their undivided attention and even commands him to not only let stay right now what I'm delivering to you now, but make sure it's delivered to your children and to your children's children and their children on down from Generation to generation. See, this word that was delivered, we still preach from it. It's been delivered on down through the span of time and it is to be preached again and again and again. You see, total devastation and total desolation would come to the nation of Israel. Joel has seen this. And the reason why that devastation, the reason why the desolation was going to come was because of how Israel had strayed from the Lord. You see, Joel recognized it as judgment for God on the people who had left the Lord and was commissioned by the Lord to deliver to them what he said. Now can you imagine all that he had to say that this had to be one more hard pill to swallow? I'm sure it necessarily wasn't good. It wasn't good for the other prophets. It wasn't good for Ezekiel. They, they thought, oh Lord, what are they going to think? But let me tell you, it doesn't matter what people think. As preachers of righteousness, we are to stand forth and we are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are times that things will be said from your preacher. There will be times that things will have to be said here and they don't necessarily feel good. But it is for our good. It is for our good to hear these things of what he's got to say. But it was desperately needed. So sinners don't like to hear that if you die in your sins, you will be eternally lost and go to hell. It's not a message that's necessarily preached anymore. It's not one that welcomes. And the reason why is because it don't feel good. Well, that don't make me feel good, so I'm not going to go here. I'm going to go over there. But we still need to hear the truth because if somebody loves you, they're going to proclaim the truth. Amen? Christians, we need to hear that there is still chastisement from the Lord. We don't like to hear that. We don't like to feel that, right? But the gospel of Jesus Christ is an offense. In fact, the truth will offend you before it will set you free the truth will always offend you before it sets you free before you got saved you were deep in your sins and the Holy Spirit convicted your heart and I don't know about you but I remember having the white knuckle syndrome and I remember grabbing them pews I remember sitting in my home and watching their SBN and the Spirit of God would grip my heart so much like that that I couldn't hardly stand it and it didn't feel good but it was necessary and thank God that it happened because that's the Holy Spirit that was convicting me drawing my heart Heart, wooing my heart to come to Jesus. That's what we need in our churches. That's what we got to get back to. Without the moving and the operating power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to see lives changed. We're not going to see people transformed. We're not going to see bondages broken over people's lives. It is only through lifting up the name of Jesus. He said in John twelve thirty two that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You want man to be drawn unto you? you want sinners and Christians to be drawn into the Lord preach Jesus Christ yes. preach Jesus because that's how the Holy Spirit is able to move and to draw the hearts of all men amen Second Peter 2 and 5 says and spare not the whole world but save Noah the 8th person a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of ungodly let me tell you if God determines success if God determines success by, and, and the response of the people, then Noah would have been unsuccessful. For 100 or to 120 years, and it's up for debate, and it really don't matter. It took a long time to get that ark built. But nevertheless, because I've heard some, and we will argue over how long it took, and it don't matter how long it took. It's the fact that Noah was obedient and the ark was built. But for the 100 or to 120 years, Noah preached righteousness and undoubtedly the people will walk by and they said are you out of your mind you're crazy you're building this big ark." noah was telling them hey a flood is coming and people laughed at him people mocked at him people made fun of him no doubt but guess what when the ark was finished and the door was closed the bible says that the rain began to come down and then all of a sudden the words that he has spoken began to be trickled back to the minds of those that were there in that time and they began. And to beat on the door, let me in. But let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Noah was faithful to what God called him to do. So let me tell you, listen, I give the word. The response of the people is not laid upon me. It's laid upon you. When the word of the Lord comes forth, you then have the responsibility to either accept it or to reject it. I am just to deliver it. Amen? So we don't get to remain neutral when we've heard the word of the Lord because, again, a response will be demanded by God to His word. Every time the preaching of the word comes to you, every time, you are responsible for the response that you can either accept it or you can reject it. See, the people of God has so far strayed from Him and had turned their backs on Him. They had turned to idolatry and were deep in sin, much like the condition of, of our country of our land today of the church today. We read about it and, and, and it baffles me how people will read and say I can't believe Israel done all of that. How God moved time and time again. We sang, uh, sang about it in the song. You opened the Red Sea signifying the one that the Lord brings out from Egypt and we see how God moved for the children of Israel and he opened the Red Sea. He dried up there the river Jordan. He moved time the walls of Jericho come down. He moved time and time and time again and Israel would always stray off and we sit back and we go i can't believe they would do it but yet we're no better today god has moved in our hearts and in our lives god has moved in this country even in the last 100 120 years to the to where knowledge has been increased we see inventions like never before never through the history of time that is the outpouring of his holy spirit and yet we are in no better position than israel of that day We have turned ourselves, we have turned our hearts from Him. See, what we used to take a stand for, we no longer stand, but rather have taken the knee. What we used to call evil, we now call good. What used to be called good is now called evil. See, what we used to preach from behind the pulpit is no longer used because, again, we've replaced the Bible, the Word of Almighty God, with man's opinions and with man's thoughts. And I just want to say this, I feel impromptu to say, if you have a Bible, you need to make sure that it is a literal word for word translation. Because the Word of God is the Word of God. When you have a paraphrase, that's not the Word of God. That's man's opinion. I'm not just saying you have to have a King James Version. But you need to make sure that the Bible that you've got is a literal word-from-word translation. Because I, one person t- uh, e- emailed me, texted me the other week. And was asking me what kind of Bible that they needed to have. And of course I went on to recommend and to tell her what she needed to have. And I told her and she told me and sent me something next day and said you're right. Because some of these other versions leave scriptures out. I mean totally omitting scriptures. And let me tell you something, they are omitting the word of Almighty God. I don't care if it's if, thee, thou, I don't care. I need the word of Almighty God. Every word that Lord spoke, every word that He speaks is important. And we're not to leave one word out. So I'll get off of that. I didn't have it in my notes, but felt impressed to say it. Joel 1.8 says, lament like a virgin, girded with sackcloth uh, for the husband of her youth. You see, so Joel's message wasn't one that was popular or made people feel good, but yet it was most important because he was calling the country back to repentance. And he let them know that they could either lament over their sins now, or else they could lament over the terrible loss that would come that had been pronounced. So here he was, he was saying, I'm going to strip everything away from you so that he could bring them back to him. And God's got ways of waking us up. God's got ways of getting your attention. And so when people wonder what is going on, and the question has been asked, did God cause what is going on today? No, God didn't cause it. God allowed it. He, because everything that Satan does, it has to be allowed by the Lord. We see that with the book of Job and Job's life. It happens with all of us as Christians. But God allowed this to happen to wake the church up. Because who would have ever thought That on March the 29th, 2020, that our doors would have to be shut to where we could not allow people in because of the sickness that is going on. But Lord allowed things then, and He's allowing things now. And that is the love of the Father to get our attention to say, hey, wake up. He's telling the church, wake up. You have strayed so far from me. I've been good to you. He's been good to this country. He's been good to every one of us. And yet we have strayed. The church as a whole has strayed. And he's allowing us to wake us up. To get us back to the place where he wants us to be. So that we can begin to operate as he has called us to be. So the tears of the church have long since dried up. Just like, and if you're not here, you wouldn't understand this, but the lake across the street. Out here we've got a a pile of brush real big, and I was told by one that comes to this church that years ago it used to be a lake. And, but over the period of time, the lake dried up, and that's why it's filled up with a bunch of brush. So you'll have to come here to see what I'm talking about. Amen. But again, our tears have dried up. We no longer weep over our sin. We don't blush at the sight of our sin, but we rather boast about it and laugh about it. What used to be not tolerated and it is now is now dominated. It's now dominated the church. The church sits back and thinks it's okay. Where is the blush of the church anymore when sin is going forth? And we get too close to it. We think, well, let me see how far I can get there. No, we should run from sin. We should abhor sin. We should even abstain from the appearances of evil. That's what we are to do. So Joel says to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. and It's it's a wake up call. We as the body of Christ should be sounding the alarm to every single person that doesn't know Christ. We should announce that. We should be sounding the alarm that Jesus is soon to return. We should be sounding the alarm that our faith must be in Christ and exclusively in Christ and what he has done. We should be teaching and preaching the blood of Jesus Christ. We should be singing about the blood. We should be testifying about the blood. Everything should be about the blood. Because it's all about Jesus Christ. We should be proclaiming that. So my question is, when's the last time you've blown the trumpet? When's the last time that you've sounded the alarm? Because if you are a possessor of Jesus Christ, the responsibility is yours. It's mine. It's those that are in here. It's all of us that are safe to blow the the trumpet, to sound the alarm unto the world. Because let me tell you, if you don't, then their blood, the Bible says, will be required at your hand. I'm not going to stand here and just give to people what they want because we may fill it up real fast. I'm going to deliver the word of the Lord because when I stand before him one day, I am going to have to give an account of every message that I've ever preached. And and, and if I don't tell and speak what the Lord has told me to speak, if you don't do it like that, then the blood of those individuals are going to be required at our hand. But the alarm wasn't just to the sinner, but was to the church. That it went to sleep and had drifted in their relationship with God. You see, sin was there, and the sin had not been renounced. And see, God always leaves a space and time there for repentance. God doesn't just kick one out when there, there's failure. But he will always leave a space there for time for repentance. And the church was in such bad condition then, just as it is now. God has allowed us so long to repent of the sin of the way that we have went. But he sees, and it has been proven, that we're not going to repent, but we're going to continue to water in our sin. So he says, okay, I'm going to bring trouble your way. I'm going to allow trouble to come to your way to grab your attention. Let me give you a couple statistics. Since 1973, 60 million abortions have taken place. Where was the church? Not only in 1973, but even now. Abortions are wrong. And I know that there's many within the church that thinks that it's okay, that it's a woman's right to choose. Only God, the one who gives life, has the right to take life. It is not within mine and your hands. And even though we're not doing it, we've never performed, it's not right for the church to support one that advocates abortions. It is wrong. It's always been wrong. And we take a stand upon that. But where was the church? In June 2015, same-sex marriage was legalized in this country. Where was the church? Denominations have voted in literally that homosexuals can function as pastors of a church. Where is the church? Churches now no longer believe that Christ is the only way to heaven, but rather a series of good works can grant one eternal life. Where's the church? And we do not condemn those that have had abortions. We don't condemn those that are within that lifestyle. We love you. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. And it's no different than the one that is bound by alcohol, than the one that's bound by drugs, than the one that can't do nothing but gossip and lie, cheat, and all of these other things. It's wrong. It's wrong. And we we hate the sin, but we love the sinner and we love you enough to tell you the truth. You see, we've had false prophets on the rise that preaches grace as a license to sin, and millions follow it. Where's the church? Where's the voice? of those that are supposed to be we're supposed to be preachers of righteousness that to stand up and say this is wrong where's the church you see we've remained remain silent and the condition of the world lies at the feet of the church and it's time that we take a stand and say enough is enough and start proclaiming the word of almighty god that's what we are to do So Joel lays out what will be done and it doesn't paint a purity picture for the condition of Israel and what awaited them. So he gives them the warning and along with the warning, he also gives them the remedy for the solution. Because see, that's God. He's good like that. I'm giving you the warning, but I'm telling you what you have to do so that it doesn't take place. Amen? Verse 12 says, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn you even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. You see, here's the answer for the world. Here's the answer for the church. We are to turn to the Lord. We are to turn to the Lord. And right now, we see it now more than ever before, but people are trying to turn to Washington. Washington. They're turning to the government. They're turning to certain individuals to find the help that they need. But he says right here, turn you even to me. Singular. One person. God Almighty. The Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. No priest can provide for you what you need. The invitation is extended to all and the time frame isn't tomorrow, isn't next week, but he says, therefore now. Right now, Turn unto even me he's not just speaking again to sinners as that call is always going out, but the invitation is there into the church. Jesus would go on to say in matthew chapter eleven twenty eight come unto me all ye that are heavy laden and labor and I will give you rest and so many times we look at that verse and we think it's only applicable to the sinner but that verse is not only applicable to the sinner but it is unto you and I that are saved we are to continually come to Him that coming unto Him is not a one time event but as a child of God as the church we are to keep continually coming to Him day after day all the time because we know that it's only in Him that we have our help so they had strayed so far Israel had, and he was pursuing Israel as he's pursuing the church today you see God was the one who was initiating all this you think about it in a relationship there's usually one out of the two that pursued the other person usually it's the man that pursues the woman and sometimes you have the woman that wants to pursue the man I pursued Stacy, <laughs> And that one, though, initiates it. I'm going after that person because I care about them. I find them attractive. There's something about them that has caught my eye. So that one in that relationship initiates it, goes after. And God has it, was, is initiating this. Hey, Israel's not coming after him, so he says, well, I'm going to go after them. Amen. So he tells us, not only are we to turn, but we are to turn to him, and that is with our whole heart. And let me just say today, that a return to him with only 99% of your heart will be met with 100% rejection. God don't want 99% of you. He wants all of you. And in order for you to have an eye to have all of him, he's got to have all of us. I remember an old song that was done, 99 and a half. He wants all of us. And there's so many within the church today that says, well, Lord, you can have all of this in my heart. You can have this. But this one thing right here, I'm going to hold on to with everything within me. I just can't let it go. But we've got to surrender our whole heart over to him, and when you turn to him surrendering, then again you will always receive all of him. Second Corinthians 7:10, "For Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of." You see, when one comes to Jesus, there will be a true repentance for sin. When one repents of their sins, there is a surrendering of the heart. And there will be a turn from the current direction that one is going. There are so many that says that they have repented. There are so many that says they're saved. But yet there's been no change of the direction that they're going in. But true repentance is a turnaround of the direction that you're going. You were walking this path alone and not having anything to do with the Lord. Jesus Christ came in, you said yes to him, and now there's to be an about turn, and turn now walking unto him. And the church, by and large, has gotten off that path of following him, and we have strayed from him. We have went our own way, and he's calling us to come back to follow him. And in order for that to take place, there must first be a repentance of the heart. You see, it isn't just mere regret, but rather one who mourns over the sin as committed unto God. Now, I'm not here to look to you and tell you that because maybe you didn't necessarily cry and shed tears when you said yes to Jesus Christ that you're not saved. Because I, growing up, can remember, because we were in church all of the time, people would come to the altars, they would weep, they would cry, nose would run. And you would think for sure they had said yes to Jesus Christ, but they got up, they went right out the door, and there was no change in the heart. Because the heart was not truly surrendered. I've got a family member who told me one time that he got down on his knees there in his home, and he was saying yes to Jesus and was repenting of his sins and thought everything was good and got up and literally said that he felt like two hands come up on his shoulders and say, get back down, because you didn't really surrender to me. And when he got back on his knees, he realized that there was not a true surrender to the Lord. And there he truly surrendered his whole heart to the Lord. Let me tell you, this repentance is more than just saying words. It's more than just having regret. It is to mourn over our sins. Repentance is to say, Lord, I am so sorry. And many a times, most of the times and throughout your walk with the Lord, there will be a cry that comes forth. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I have transgressed against you. And and that we need to be doing that we should be mournful over our sin and in the direction that we went not just as individuals but let me tell you even as one that is serving the lord with everything within you it is incumbent upon you to intercede on behalf of this church on behalf of the church yesterday morning i was woken up at three o'clock in the morning and i was so burdened down for god's people Not just the ones that I know, but I could feel the weight of God's children there. And it was so heavy. And all I could do was begin to weep. And then that weeping went into weeping even more because of the condition of the church that we are in. That we have slapped our sin in the face of God and said we are determined to have our own way. And I was praying, Lord, forgive us. Because let me tell you that we should be repenting on behalf of the church. See, we're worried just about me. No, repent on behalf of the church. That's what the prophets done at that time. Interceded on behalf. Amen. So now after coming to him. After returning to him. This is how we are to do. Verse 13. And rend your heart and not your garments. And turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. And of great kindness and repents him of the evil. Many in that time, and the reason people would say, well, what does he mean, rend your heart and not your garments? Because then that day and time that was going on and all before that, when people had such expressed grief and sorrow, they would tear their garments. You can read about it in all of the books prior to the book of Joel there in the Bible. People would rend their garments. They, they would have ripped their dress apart, if you will, the attire that they had on to, to, to show and to signify how broken they were. And Jesus, the God is saying here, don't just rend your garments. Don't just tear them apart. I want your heart. Rend your heart unto me. I'm tired of just you putting on a show. I'm tired of it just being vain words that come out of your mouth. Quit just speaking to me the words that come from your mind and rend unto me your heart. See, Jesus is not worried about the words that you speak. You can pray the most beautiful prayer and articulate your words to the best behind the pulpit but what he desires is the heart and there are times when all i can do is weep before the lord but thank god that that is a language that god understands is our tears and i am so thankful that when i've got nothing else to say and i can't even speak god listen to my heart our hearts Or to be ran to Him. To be torn with such great grief. A great emotion should be shown and taking place. Because of the sin of the people of the church. So again it will come forth in repentance. But the emotions that come forth again must be from the heart. And not just manifestations. Because one can externally signify grief and sorrow. Without ever truly giving their heart to Jesus. Because again, it's not about just kneeling down in an altar. It's not just about saying, Lord, I'm sorry. It's about rending your heart, giving your heart unto Him. In this time here, we're about three weeks from Easter. And I guess three weeks back, I'm not sure, there's six weeks prior to that date we enter into a season of what's called Lent. And a lot of people will give up something to show how much they love the Lord. They will give up this. They will give up that. Just so Lord, I'm sorry. And thinking that they have given up. Listen, he don't want your sacrifices. He wants your heart. And decide, no, I don't have to sacrifice anything. The great sacrifice has already taken place. It is finished. It is done. When he said it's finished, he meant what he said. I don't have to sit and try to deny myself a chocolate or of a soda or anything else to prove, to prove the sincerity of my love. I am to simply say, Lord, I believe and live for him and love him. Psalms 51, 1 through 4 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according and to thy loving kindness, according and to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is David speaking here. A man that is after God's own heart. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in the sight. That you mightest be justified when you speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And he goes on in verse 16 through 17 It says, For you desire not sacrifice or else I would give it. But you delight not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, what he requires and what he desires. That if you arise, what David said here, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God never will turn away the one that is broken. God will never turn away the one that has a contrite heart like that. Brokenness. And let me tell you, brokenness needs to come back to the church. Because if we're ever going to see God move the way we want to, we've got to be a broken people, a broken vessel so that He can pour through. And when something is broken, as it pours through, it will pour out. Brokenness. You see, sin starts in the heart just like salvation starts in the heart. Many people see uh, the sin, the manifestation of sin, the acts of sin in people's lives. And they think, well, that's when they have backslid or, or that's when they... Walked away from the Lord. But I've said it before. Sin started long before the actions. It started in the heart first. It has to come into the heart first before it's ever manifested on the outward. Just as sin was salvation starts at the heart and then there will be a public display of that saving grace and power in your heart and in your life. And so when we see the acts of sin, understand it started long before in the heart. Sin crept into the heart of the church way before we got to where we're at today in the church. We didn't get to this place overnight. We took a long time to get where we're at. And he's saying, rend your heart. You see, David knew that the sacrifices would not remove his sin, nor could anything remove it until his heart was contrite, was broken, and was crushed. See, that's why man is wasting his time offering anything else other than than your heart to God. You see, God didn't want Isaac. He wanted Abraham. He didn't want his Isaac. He don't want your Isaac. He wants you. Israel was good at rendering garments and throwing ash on their face to show how unbearable their grief was. But God is saying all of this is in vain. It's nothing more but a show and I'm not buying what you're doing. Stop with your shenanigans. Quit going through the motions. Quit doing what you think you should do. Quit playing church and start being the church and give me your heart. Because we could come in here and we can do church. We can put on our attire. We can say the right things for far too long. When I wasn't serving the Lord, I knew how to talk the talk. I knew the right things to say. I knew how to address the appearance. And it sort of scares me because many thought, oh, everything must be good with him. Where's the discernment of the church? By the fruit you shall know them. And there wasn't a bit of fruit that was in my life because I didn't possess the vine. I want connected up to him. And apart from him, we cannot do anything. A branch doesn't live when it's not, a part, when it's not connected to the vine. Okay? So we're not to go through the motions. We're not to just go through doing church. God says, put away all of that stuff and give me your heart. You see, it's easy to participate in religious ceremonies. But it's humbling when one confesses sin. It's easy to come in here and play a piano, to sing, to play drums, to come in here to lift up our hands and do all of this stuff. But it's humbling when you've got to confess your sin that will humble a man down real quick because you're going before the foot of the cross and you're saying Lord as David said my sin is ever before me and that right there is why he says in 2nd Chronicles 714 if my people my people the church those that are saved or which are called by my name shall humble themselves down that means go back to the cross because let me tell you true repentance that is demanded by God from you from I from the church as a whole is a return back to the cross that's true repentance not just saying words but true repentance is always coming back to the cross And the church has strayed away from the finished work of Calvary. The church is preaching and lifting up everything else except the blood of Jesus Christ. Because they've got the idea that the blood is only for salvation and for nothing else. No, no. He didn't pour out that blood to only save you. He poured out that blood to set you free. He poured out that blood so that you and I could be healed today. He poured out that blood so that you and I could have abundant life. That's what He wants for you and I. So that's why God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast in anything else. Save the cross of Christ. For God sent me not. Christ sent me not to, to, to baptize, but to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we that are saved know that it is the power of God. You see, until the church returns to the cross, the destruction and desolation will not be repented of. But we are to come back and preach the only message that was ever mandated for us to preach. And that is Christ and Him crucified. Amen. If we will turn back to Him, back to where we first received Jesus, and He was in our all in all and seek His face, Turn from our wicked ways and God will forgive us of our sin and he will heal our land. People won't, we say we want the healing, God heal our land. I will. But when you first humble down, you turn from your wicked ways, come back to the cross. Repent not only of the evil that we've done, but repent of the good that we've done. Because we are doing good, we're doing church, doing good things, but it's not built on the foundation of Christ and what He did at Calvary. So we've got to repent of our evil, repent of even the good that we've done, that we built on the wrong foundation, confess them before Him, and God says, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Let me tell you something, when He says here that, that he, is, he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness... Many people would say, "I've done too much, I've went too far." You don't know what I have done, but God here is saying, "I'm extending out to you what's going to be." But if you will turn to me back with your own heart, I'm gracious, I'm merciful, I'm slow to anger and of great kindness. The Bible says in other portions that He is plenteous in mercy. God will not turn us away. He is so long suffering. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that he's long-suffering. That he don't kick us out when we mess up. But he is saying, come back to me. Come back to the cross of Christ. You see, Psalms 35, 30 and verse 5 says, For his anger endureth but a moment. So God doesn't cherish anger or lay it up in his mind. As human beings will do, I'm going to get them back. But what he says, he desires to show mercy and kindness. So we've got to get back. To where we first received life. It's time for us to turn from our sin and humble down and begin to seek the face of God. Us Christians, we've got to humble down and turn from our wicked ways. As the musicians and the singers come back. I didn't know how to really close out this message, and the Lord took me to a passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, we see the parable. We see the parable of, of, of the two children there. The prodigal son is what we see. And the Bible says that the, and the younger of them said of his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that felleth to me. And if y'all would just sing, Grace, Grace, wonderful grace. And Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. There are many today and you've wasted the substance. You once served the Lord. You once knew what it was to be in His presence. You once knew what it was to cry out unto Him. You knew what it once was to have a desire to seek his face for the things of God. But life has happened and you've erred down the wrong way. You've wasted so much of your substance and, and, and you began to be in want just as this prodigal son was. Because let me tell you, a turn from the Lord will always leave you wanting. When you don't have the Lord, you will always be looking for something else to fulfill that void in your life. And I know that I'm talking to some of you right now. And you know what I'm talking about. There, there is a lack there. There is a void there. And you say, you know that you need to get back to where you one time was. And you think, but I have went too far. You find yourself just as his prodigal son was in the pig slop. But right then he knew that if he would just turn back, That if he would just go back to the Father, that he would be received. Let me tell you something. I don't care how far you've went. I don't care what you have done. God's grace is greater than all of your sin. For the Bible says, for where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And he wasn't met with condemnation. He wasn't met with judgment. He wasn't slapped in the face. He was met with a kiss. He was met with arms wide open. He was said, pull out the fattest calf and pull out the robe because the son that was lost has now come home. Let me tell you, you can come home today. You can come home today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that he's calling for you to come home. He's calling your name. He's been calling your name for quite some time. And you've rejected and rejected, but today it stops today just turn unto him so as they sing this song I implore you cry out to him you may say well there's nobody here to pray with me God the Holy Spirit is there and we will pray with you messages we will pray and as the church a body of believers we need to repent and it's not always easy to repent of the sin that is in our life but I'm telling you that if we want to see God move again Then we've got to repent of the error of our way. So, as they sing, let the Spirit of God flood your soul and minister to you even now.